episode 12 of the Coach Potatoes podcast with me, your host, Lara Kui. This podcast is part of our interview series, and in this episode, I'm in conversation with Mary Barrett, owner and chief enthusiasm officer at Mary Barrett Global. Mary is a mindset coach, hypnotherapist and podcaster. She is an expert in emotional intelligence and communication skills and ABNLP certified NLP trainer, master practitioner and hypnotherapist. For over three decades, Mary has been educating, inspiring and empowering C-suite senior executives and entrepreneurs to clear the chaos of their mind and gain clarity to make transformational, sustainable changes to increase both personal effectiveness and business results. It's so exciting to have you here today and in person, Mary. Thank you, Lara. I'm so happy to be here. Um, so it's always great to start at the beginning, a little bit of background about where you grew up and what your life was like as a child. My goodness. Okay, so my parents are Irish and they were immigrants to London in England in uh, the 60s where they met a lot of racism. They went. They came from very tiny rural farms in Cork, Southern Ireland, and they moved to London and they tried to find housing. And on all the houses there were no blacks, no dogs, no Irish So that actually had quite a big impact on myself and my three sisters, our upbringing, because our parents very much felt not wanted, not welcome. So we actually lived a very insular life and only mixed with Irish people. (laughs) So we had a very Irish upbringing in South London. I've got three sisters. I never say I'm the the middle child. I'm second from the top, third from bottom. (laughs) And um, very much brought up with an Irish heritage, dancing, music dancing my family, Irish dance, I did Irish dancing for many years to world championship level within a a group, a team. We lived in social housing, so equivalent of a HDB here, you know, no washing machine, um, no tumble dryer, no dishwasher, no car, and we lived in a place where drug dealers, thieves, wife beaters, so it was quite a dangerous place to live, so as a result of that, as sisters, we spent a lot of time playing with each other, luckily I had three sisters to play with, we weren't really allowed to go out to play, but the other great thing about that is we've got a love of learning and a love of a library, so we've trundle off the four of us down to the local library and get every week and get a whole pile of books and bring them back so we could read and escape through reading, I suppose. Wow, that's a fascinating background. And it's so crazy to think that there were these unwritten rules and that people would say that. So it's fascinating, though, that you lived that. But this love of learning, etc., is this something that carried you? Did you want to go and study and learn all sorts of interesting things? It's really interesting because uh, my three sisters have all got at least two degrees. I've got a medical doctor, I've got two teachers. And myself, as one of my, te- my sisters said to me, we all want to uh, communicate and advise the world in our own way. But my elder sister went off to university and it was quite an alien thing for my parents coming from their background. And she went a bit wild at university. So my parents really did encourage me and quite strongly to go get a job because they couldn't really cope with the, the difference. And they could understand working and being employed. They couldn't understand the life at university. So I was very fortunate that I went to a grammar school, a convent, uh, Catholic convent school and they gave me a great education that set me up to go to work in Barclays Bank. 
Right, so you went straight in as That's a school right. leaver. That's right. Yes, and yeah, you yeah. were there for a very long time. I was, yeah. So tell me about the journey within Barclays. Yeah, so I was really fortunate to go to Barclays at a time where I started as a junior, I was a cashier, and probably about every two to three years I'd be promoted because they give me a job, I get good at it, give me a job when I get good at it. Although I have to say, when I joined, it was only probably about five or six years before that if you got married, you had to leave. Mm. So there wasn't very many, if any, females in any leadership roles at that time, or we were trapped at a certain level, a certain grade. But then it started to change, and we only had the big four banks in the UK at that time, and the high street, and they realised that, oh my goodness, the building societies are having a bit of competition here now. We need to start being proactively selling rather than just saying, oh, maybe you can have an account with us, maybe you can't. So I was fortunate with my personality and my love of people that the bank's I suppose a way of working changed to suit my personality because I don't think I'd have lasted so long if it had been the old style of banking. Absolutely, yeah. I definitely have a Barclays Bank account <laughs> since uh, a child. I still have it. So that sounds great, though, that you lived through a time where, as you say, women had to actually leave if they got married. I mean, it, it sounds, again, another crazy thing, but actually that's what life was like um, and very hard to deal with. So it's wonderful to see how things changed and the fact that you were able to find a niche within it and to evolve and fit in where the opportunities were. So tell me a bit about moving into more of the personal development side. Okay, so the, the good news about being with, with Barclays, as I say, I changed my job every two or three years and I was always chosen um, within the area that I worked in to always do pioneering roles. So whenever there's a new role, it's like, oh, Mary would be really good at that, particularly if it's a leadership, people-directed sales role. So within that, I was lucky enough to be have some fabulous training. That's one thing I absolutely would always be grateful to Barclays for giving us in those days, really professional, really great people would come in and train us. And I could see quite early on that being a trainer was something that really appealed to me. So I upskilled myself doing that within the organization. And I was a leader, um, I actually, you may know it, Wimbledon Village, Barclays Bank of Wimbledon Village. I was a bank manager there, it was one of my jobs. And they put, leaders at that time onto a coaching course which was run by Sir John Whitmore who was the founder of the Grow Coaching Model and he's actually one of my trainers and I think from that moment on I went oh this is me this is me this is what I was born to do I didn't necessarily know that in as much conviction as I have now but it's something that I felt natural at I've got a genuine interest in people I genuinely want to help people be better and improve whether that's in sales whether it's in emotions whether it's in health wealth whatever it is and that was the gateway really for me to really accelerate my learning in this field. And at that time it was very advanced because coaching wasn't a thing, right? It wasn't really well known at the time and uh, Sir John Whitmore very much the pioneer and so it's quite amazing that you've got this long history of coaching. And so within Barclays, what did they want you to do with coaching? So I was, I seem to get lots of regional management roles. So I was the regional sales coach for the area that, that I, I knew where I lived. And so I'd go into each of the Barclays little branches and work with the whole business to improve sales and performance. Then I was the regional total quality manager. So I'd go into all these little branches and actually help them to improve processes. So I'm actually quite a process um, nerd <laughs> as well as a people nerd. And I think when you've got the combination of those, it's very powerful. Yeah. Well, I can imagine what it was like, because as you say, every high street had a branch and a little fiefdom with the <laughs> bank manager there. So you need very advanced people skills to be 
coming in there, non-threatening, get them on board, get that buy-in and help them through it and to be better, as you say. Yeah, so it must right, have been right. quite challenging, Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, that, that getting the buy-in and getting accepted, because most times people don't want to do these mm. programmes. <laughs> it's like, who are you coming in to, to help mm. us? But I think, yeah, definitely my ability to connect with people. I'm very comfortable meeting strangers and just finding a way to get on with them. And I've always used fun as one of my tools say come on we're going to do this but how can we make it fun in fact people say you know if fun's not there you probably won't find me around really so i always find what's the fun way what's the way i can connect with people so, and also to get them to realize that they can get something out of this too which inevitably they do yeah. absolutely and so on your learning journey tell me about how once you were into coaching what you did next so i was into coaching and then i really enjoy the Gero model it's a great standard model but i found as i was going through that it wasn't making the sustainable, deep, transformational change that I knew was available then. So I got introduced to the world of uh, NLP or Neuro Linguistic Programming, and that was in 1999. And I was trained by Ariel Essex in London. And that was it. That was, I thought, right, okay, okay. Now with my combination of having a very uh, good staircase of a coaching model, plus all these wonderful mind-changing reprogramming tools, this is really where my next level of learning is going to be and my next level of success is going to be. And to be fair, I've never really stopped learning. I am an eternal student. And maybe it's those trips to the library when I was a kid, I love to learn and I love to grow. So I will never stop learning until the day I die. That's an important aspect, though, of being a coach, isn't it? Mm. Never to stop learning. But on the NLP side, most people are not very familiar with what's involved. And neuro-linguistic programming <laughs> sounds very scientific, sounds rather complicated, sounds a bit like you might need some brain probes or something <laughs> a, a bit, you know, a lobotomy or something. Mm. But what really is it? How can you reprogram somebody? It's the study of success. So NLP was founded by Richard Bandler and John Grinder in the 70s. And I think that's why some of the language is a bit computer speak language because of Silicon Valley and when that was coming together. But it's really about understanding success. So what makes people successful? So what do I need to change to help me be better at whatever it is that you want to be better at? And the reprogram side of it really is because we work very heavily within the unconscious mind, where all our habits are based, where our emotions are based. And I say to people, if I was to describe your unconscious mind, it's like your iCloud, your individual iCloud. So every single thing that's ever happened to you, whether you can consciously remember it or not, is stored in your iCloud. And so the work that I do is help access that through your unconscious mind to do the reprogramming or give you the resources that maybe you didn't have access to when you were 8, 9, 10, 11 years old that you need now in who you are today and more importantly who you're going to tomorrow. So it's a, I would say NLP is a magical toolkit of tools that can help anybody deal with negative emotions, negative beliefs and values and anyone that's stuck in any area of their life. So it sounds a little bit like hypnosis. Hypnosis is part of it, definitely. That's untrained in that as well. It's part of it, but the, the toolkit is even bigger because we have the linguistics, which is hypnosis too. A lot of hypnosis is about linguistics, but the language that we use. So I like to think I'm a thought uh, disruptor. So if you think something, then you say it, then you behave it, then you feel it. But basically, if you change your thinking, it changes how you feel. If you change how you feel, it changes how you behave. If you change how you behave, you'll change your results. But what we only see as humans going around is people's behaviour. 
But what I do is go all the way back because it's the language and then the thinking. So we actually have to change the thinking, which becomes your beliefs, <laughs> to change the way you feel, your behaviours and your results. NLP goes back to root cause. The other thing it does, you know, neuro, so it's the brain. So we, what we believe, and I certainly believe it for the results that I've had, that the mind and the body are connected. People are so much into their head and not into their heart and not into their gut. So it's all about alignment. And the word dis-ease, dis-ease, is about bringing alignment to the whole body in your thinking process. And the P for patterns or programs is really the habits that we run. Because once something is a habit, it is unconscious you know yourself you wake up and you go to work the same journey every day and you arrive there and you don't even know how you've got there because it's a habit your unconscious mind takes over so we've got some wonderful empowering habits we've got lots of disempowering habits so nlp helps to reprogram those habits as well right it sounds amazingly powerful so mm. can you give us a couple of examples of some amazing transformations you've seen in some people it's interesting because everyone is unique and because everyone has got their own unique eye cloud a transformation for somebody may be enormous somebody else may not be so enormous so it depends you can go from the salesperson who now is a multimillionaire has got his boat out in the Balearics you can go from someone who was in an abusive relationship and had a transformation of confidence and self-belief to leave that relationship number one and find a new relationship it could be somebody that needs the courage and self-belief and resilience to go ask for that promotion and ask for that money so there's this it's so unique but I think the area where I get I get a lot of joy from my work, but I think the area I get loads of joy is dealing with people who have had trauma. And so people that have maybe had psychological or physical trauma. So recently, for example, three friends within a few weeks all had quite horrible accidents. One person broke a collarbone, fallen off a horse. One person was in hospital and was given penicillin and she's allergic to it, so went into shock. And then one person who sliced a part of her hand with a vase. And so I've got tools that actually help harness the healing the natural healing process of your body and they're all healing much faster, much quicker than they ever would have. Because what happens in hospital is the surgeons deal with their bit of the body. <laughs> they don't think about the psychological side of it and may never think about that. But to help the body heal as one whole, you need to align all of that. So that really gives me a lot of joy, that work. And yeah, so I, I love to do more of that. Wow, that's really powerful. And I mean, they do say laughter is the best medicine, right? So it's finding joy and laughter and happiness that's going to change the way you feel about something. So there definitely is so much to be said for the power of the mind. When you see people walk on coals and things, right? It's, I've done that about five times. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so tell me a bit about yeah. the walking on coals with Tony Robbins. Yeah, so, um, so I've finished my NLP training in 1999 at the level that at that time and I found out about Tony Robbins because one one path leads you down the next path I hadn't heard about him and then I had an opportunity at actually a very crisis time in my life to just go along to his his opening event really which is Unleash the Power Within I think it's called that may have changed now and did my first fire walk way back when so 2000 I think it was very powerful and it is mind over matter mind over matter programs you to be able to do that and I got such a breakthrough on that weekend that I then signed up for the whole Life University and spent the next 18 months sort of going around the world to be trained by him, including being in Hawaii on 9-11. So that was quite, a, I had a very unique 9-11 um, by being with Tony Robbins for a whole nine days actually, it was in Hawaii, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I've walked on coals five or six times now and I've jumped off 50 foot poles and all of that sort of stuff so it's all about you feeling the fear and doing it anyway you know the fear is never going to go away if you want to grow but it's about how do you deal with that mentally to deliver what you need to deliver 
So it's quite a journey to go on, isn't it? I mean, you have to put yourself through some quite spectacular dares and be a risk taker. Yeah, I wouldn't have said that necessarily about myself at the time. I remember the morning I was in Hawaii, so it was after 9-11, maybe the day after, and it was 7 o'clock in the morning, and you went out to all these 50-foot poles that were lined up on the beach at this beautiful hotel we were at, and you're in your team, and all the team are cheering you on, and you're harnessed, but you've got to jump off this pole out into the ether, if you like, and, and I was there, and I, my legs were wobbling. I'd been to the toilet quite a few times that morning. My legs were wobbling, I started to climb the pole, and... Down on the floor below me, I could hear my team, go Mary, go Mary. And I looked over to my left, and at the pole next to me, there about six poles sort of lined up together. There was a, a guy who was going up who was blind. Now, somebody said, well, he couldn't see the danger, Mary, so maybe. <laughs> However, I thought, come on, Mary, if he can do it. And the other belief I had in my head, which helped me go up, was I've got very small feet, so why my feet will balance on the top of that pole when I get out there, and I've got good balance so because of my dancing etc so yeah those belief systems that kept you going and the cheering of your team supporting you it was just wonderful it's a really wonderful experience yeah i think the lawyer and me would be thinking well <laughs> realistically no one can have died because they wouldn't be doing this because imagine suing tony robbins so i think i would have been like okay <laughs> oh dear um anyway tell me about moving to bmw and being headhunted by them yeah that was great actually so we were as a regional team in barclays so again when i was doing the um quality management for barclays BMW were looking for people to do the quality management and coach role and they couldn't find the right people to, although they sort of got a thousand people apparently to interview and one of my work colleagues I used to work with just phoned me sort of out of the blue, as it never is, no such thing as coincidence, and said, Mary, would you be interested? And I said, well, I'm not sure. And he goes, and there's a change in my lifetime, a big change in my life. And I went, okay, I'll come along for the interview. And I came along for the interview and yeah, I convinced them I could do the job. I convinced myself I could do the job and I ended up being the regional quality coach for 15% of the network. Again, going around the branches, happened to be BMW dealerships and really getting to improve. And my job was to educate, train all of the people within the businesses from the technicians in the workshop all the way to senior management about why they're good at what they do, how do we document this, and now let's be assessed by it. So I had set up lots of teams into these businesses. And because I got such great results and I made it fun, because none of them wanted to do it, although it, was, it wasn't mandatory, it was. I did such a great job again. They asked me to be the master coach for Europe. So I then, and first female master coach, I got a trophy in those days. This is back in 2000, I got a trophy. And I um, yeah trained all the uh, coaches for Europe to do the same role, which was a fabulous opportunity as well. So Mary's methodology and sense of fun got pushed out into Europe for doing this program and uh, really enjoyed it. But interestingly enough, a friend of mine joined at the same time. She was headhunted to Helen. And as we were given our brand new BMW cars, every six months, beautiful cars. And I remember we were driving along and she said, I want to do this job because but I want to stay with BMW. I want a future of BMW. And I said, and I don't. I said, I want to do this job, but I absolutely have to at some stage start my own business. Interesting enough, she's now the head of training for BMW UK. <laughs> and I went off and done my own thing. So, yeah. So that drive to have your own thing and you could already foresee that future for yourself what was that why had you thought of that yeah I have feedback of these performance appraisals that I've had over the years that I'm really good at what I do I make it a lot of fun but I like to do it my own way <laughs> which is probably true which is why they probably gave me pioneering roles because one of the great things about doing a pioneering role you can't get it wrong no one's been there before, so you make your own path. So I, I really like that opportunity, which is the same as entrepreneurship, really. You decide what you want to do, how you want to do it. 
And I got to a certain age and I'd done the job of being doggy for a period of time, knowing that it was getting a bit repetitive, that I wanted to do something different. I do like variety. Because I'm used to changing my job every two or three years in Barclays. So I, yeah, got to a certain age and I thought, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? So I said, I'll give myself a year. I'm going to go and do it. All that, as a backdrop to that, what I was doing pro bono coaching for people, just testing out, would people pay me? And asking them, like, if you were to, if I were to charge you, what would you pay me? So to just get some, I suppose, reassurance that people would pay me for something that I know I was really good at. And they said yes. And the great news was, as a result of my relationship with the dealerships and BMW and where I worked, plus BMW wanted to keep me. I said, don't leave us, don't leave us. Can you work with us part-time? Please just come work with us part-time. I said, I can't. I said, because if I do, I'll never know. If I then take a job with you, then I'm not really allowing myself to test myself and I need to test myself. But a lot of the dealerships said, Mary, come on, whatever you do, we want to employ you anyway. So I was lucky in that respect that I sort of walked into, not a full client base, but a client base where I could at least go and earn some money quite quickly. But when I actually left BMW and I had to give back my car, I stayed six months longer because of the car. Not a good reason, but it was like a car, mobile phone, computer, had to give it all back. I was single, I had a mortgage to pay. And I thought I have to give myself this opportunity and never regretted a day since. Yeah, but I literally had two days of work in my diary when I did that. That's all I had. Wow, that's certainly self-confidence <laughs> and, yeah, the risk-taker, see, all that pole jumping. Correct, correct. <laughs> but yeah. you actually spent some time living in Sweden. So yes. how did that come about? Um, yeah, so my boyfriend at the time, then my husband, got an opportunity to uh, work in Sweden. So he looked after the Baltic market for BMW. So although he was the regional sales manager, I was the regional quality manager. We didn't date while we were in the job, but a year later he contacted me through a mutual friend and we had a date. And so this opportunity came up and on my goal list for many years is, is to live and work abroad. And so we went and had four years living on, living on a beautiful island called Lydineur and spent a lot of time commuting between Arlanda Airport and London Heathrow because my client base was there. And then I had to build my client base again in, in Stockholm in Europe. So basically started building and, and growing again, really. So, yeah, spent a lot of time um, running through Heathrow Airport security to try and get that last flight out to find as you get to the gate, it's been cancelled. Wow, yes. exciting. Yes, busy times. And yeah. very different from your current life in Singapore. So mm. what brought you to Singapore? So, yes, yeah, so I was a trail independent. So we were in Sweden for four years and we got married there. My husband's job was for three years, first sort of contract, and then we extended by another year. And the reason we did that is because we were going through an adoption process. So I've never been able to have children myself or any, no, unexplained. And so we decided to go down the adoption route and we were on the adoption list in Sweden. We did all the medicals for, for three or four years. We did all the interviews for three and four years. And we were still number 185 on the list. So I sort of said to my husband, I said, look, I'm not putting my life on hold. It's not good for us. We need to think about what next. And then the universe said, how about Singapore? Had only ever been to Singapore en route to Australia. Um, via the airport, never actually exited the airport, didn't know anything about it. But what I did know, and was also my wish list, was that it was warm. <laughs> and one of my wish lists from back in 2003 was to live where I could wear summer clothes and flip-flops all the year round. So it ticked that box, um, but had no idea of the um, adoption process here at that time, but knew we had to move on with our lives. So we arrived, arrived as a trade independent, Again, started my business again from scratch because obviously, you know, I'd had a few like online clients, of course, I could do, but 
or physical clients. So I started again. And then the universe, nine months later, brought me my daughter. And so I adopted Ruby here in October 2010. And then 13 and a half months later, I adopted my son, Zach. So it was the right place to come. Well, it was because, I mean, that actually is pretty swift if you think about correct. arriving here and then correct. nine months later. Yes. So like, yes, like it, a pregnancy, pregnancy right? Correct. So it's it fantastic. Was, yeah, 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 so, yeah. wow. Yeah. So it means that this is really where you started your family mm -hmm. and you got the weather that you wanted. You're probably cursing the 32 degrees that you get every <laughs> single day. And actually the novelty of snow is something that we miss. But yeah, I think experiencing the well, the commuting that you mentioned, but having started your business several times meant that you were in a good place when you came to Singapore to launch that again. And also in terms of timing, coaching was beginning to become a bit more well-known, right? Especially in personal and professional development circles. So that must have been at least an easier start from that point of view. But also being an expat here in Singapore, what are the things that you're seeing amongst your clients when they're dealing with the current state of things mm, I think I think these are very challenging times I think these are crazy times and we're trying to pretend they're normal and they're not and I really feel that many people are still on the hamster wheel they don't even know they're on the hamster wheel this necessity to be in front of the screen I think the burnout rate we don't even know the aftermath of this the lagging impact of this is not even we don't even know yet but I think that Boundary blur, it's very common, the boundary blur, not understanding that taking a break, that I've already had people say, well, because I can't go away, I won't really take a holiday. And I've said, absolutely, as your coach, I'm saying to you, you need a holiday and you need to book two weeks because you won't unwind until at least three or four days. You need two weeks and give yourself permission. Otherwise, your health will suffer. So for me, I think it's the, really is about the emotional and health well-being is the primary area. I've also noticed that because People haven't got any distraction now. And I think LinkedIn did the quotes, over 35% of people are looking for new jobs now. Whereas historically, not, not really enjoying my job, oh, I'll go on a holiday. Not enjoying my job. I'll go out with my friends for a, um, a nice dinner. I'm not enjoying my job. I'll go and have tea with my friends at a uh, uh, tea break or coffee, uh, lunch break. That's all gone away. So there's nothing now to distract if you're not happy in your job. So I've got many people come to me who are changing jobs, leaving the country and finding new things to do. I think that at the moment, that's it because people are going, so if, if all I'm left with is my job now and this is it, this is not what I want for my one and only life. I need to have something different. So I'm helping a lot of people with that. Find out what it is and actually help people relocate with success. Yeah, that's very interesting. I think you're absolutely right about blurred lines and also the fact that your job in an office looks very different from your job in your home. So everyone is living at work, that's aren't right. they? Yeah. But also the fact many businesses disguise the fact that the job is mundane by having fun and funky offices and sort of free tea points and funky snacks and stuff and table tennis. But the reality is, is that job is maybe data entry or something really mind-numbing and somebody doing that from home in maybe their one-bedroom apartment or something it just looks grim so I think a lot of people are waking up to the fact that life is short I think they've been made aware of the fact that actually you might be in your 20s or 30s but this kind of pandemic can come along and a disaster just happens just like that and if you're not prepared and if you're not in the kind of 
life and job, which you actually enjoy on a daily basis, you suddenly realize that. And I think, as you say, there's a lot of people on that hamster wheel, but many of them are starting to wake up and Mm. go, oh my goodness, I had not realized my life is like this. And actually, I had not realized that I might not leave until I'm 85 after all. I think that's a really good point. And particularly as an expat, many people come here so they can travel. Part of the the perk of being here is that you can travel. And now that big perk has been taken away. Either travel through your work or through holiday has really made people question exactly that. So if my job is actually in a one room office with a screen and not interacting or going anywhere, is this really what I want to do for my one and only life? And I think some people have got the memo, you only live once. But some people are really going, oh, well, I'll do that then. Well, then may never happen. Then may never happen. So what is it you need to do now? And the thing is, and as you too, it doesn't have to be radical and overnight. And I love, as I always say, we build stepping stones. You don't have to change your job overnight, but you can start building something, testing, exploring. What is it you would like to do? And then find out what it could be. And, and you don't know until you at least you give permission to do that. It's also the fact that when you engage a coach, you start to look at goals and you start to focus, you give yourself permission to have the time to start to think, okay, well, where am I going? Because I always give the analogy of the little rowing boat. There you are, you get in your little rowing boat and you're on the ocean. Now, if you have not learned to navigate by the stars or you haven't got the right tools with you, satellite phones and satellite navigation, etc., you're gonna be out at sea going nowhere. You might get lucky and strike land and and great and good for you. Mm. But the reality is that if you have not set any course and you've got no plans whatsoever and you do not have a destination in mind, you're unlikely to get there. And I think most people's lives are like that. I myself, you just live each day as it comes, don't you? And you're just firefighting, all of these things at work and just putting food on the table and just and just doing it. But the reality is that actually you can take simple pleasures, right? You can take delight in having something nice on your desk or planning a really nice lunch, going for a walk for 10 minutes, listening to your favorite song in the morning, lots of little tiny things that give you joy all day, right? I mean, is this the sort of thing that you do well, as well? I call them luxury moments. <laughs> <laughs> Permission to have luxury moments. Yeah. It could be a lavender bath. It could be a nice cup of tea. It could be buying yourself a, a bunch of flowers. Mm. It could be giving yourself a mission to go and um, meet your friends and have a conversation, what, whatever it is. So I think it's, it's, it is important to live in the now, of course, absolutely. And, you know, I love Eckhart Tolle's work around that. And also, I agree, if you don't have a course of direction on your life, and particularly about your career, then nobody is going. Nobody is more interested in your career than you. I, I don't care who good your boss is or your mentors. It's about you. So what is it that you want? So put it out there. What is it that you want? Do some work to do. You can't say, I want to be like an Olympic runner and never get on the treadmill. You have to do something. But actually, it's about that progressive steps towards. And unfortunately people normally wait for a pain thing to happen you know i say i'm a pain purchase most people that come to me have been through some sort of crossroads they call it i call it a roundabout crossroads health problem relationship problem career problem and then they'll ask for help but i love prevention rather than cure so come and find me when you're thinking right so what next i'm on the app but i'm ready for what next and it may be further down the line but what we can do is put the stepping stones in place 
to make it easy and effortless for you from a mindset point of view as well as a practical point of view. Absolutely and it's about people thinking that they're worth it and investing in themselves and yeah don't wait until some disaster and you lose a leg it is about planning now and thinking about things and getting help along the way and also finding support so i know that you're a real cheerleader for people you give them a lot of mental support and i think that everybody needs a bit of that right now especially if they're far away from family and friends and that they're missing and so these are really tough times lots of people are isolated lots of people feel perhaps they're not in the the right relationship or in the right role but better things around the corner and it's just a question of getting help to sit down and work out as you say those steps to reach those goals and just feel that you're moving forward I think with the, the, one of the benefits and as, as you as a coach too one of the many benefits you get by seeing a coach you have an independent sounding board and it's pure independence I'm not your boss I'm not your partner I'm not your friend this is all about you and I think there's a luxury in that and that luxury comes with a cost however People will spend money on going out, on holidays, on handbags or watches, whatever it is your thing is. They'll do that almost more easily than actually invest in their biggest asset, which is themselves. And when you learn how your mind works, you control how your life works. And I said, why wouldn't you pay to learn how your mind works? Because once you know how your mind works and you can change your thinking, changing how you feel and change your behaviours, you will get better results. And that's it. But that's but people wait until there's a, a trauma or a pain before they start investing in themselves. Um, and it's great if you work for a corporation and invest in coaches, and many people do. I would say most of my clients are self-funded. They come to me and say, look, I know you're the best at this. I want you to look at me as a human person holistically, not just in my job role. And many clients who I, if I had been in the past, employed in the corporate world i do always give them like the people employing me a health warning say there is a likelihood that this person may leave their job (laughs) when i'm their coach because i will get them to really think about what they value what's really important to them who they believe now but more importantly who they believe they're becoming and i'm actually coaching them for the person they're becoming in the future and where they want to go so the likelihood is they'll probably leave and does inevitably happen because I go, okay, I am, I can do more. I am more confident. I do believe in myself. Mm. Yes, <laughs> good that you have a health warning <laughs> for sure. And but yeah, I suppose that's why it's a little bit difficult because most organisations pay for coaching, and it's around sometimes remedial coaching or just to really support somebody in in the next stage. But it's very much with their own agenda. And as you say, this should be a very much holistic approach to somebody and their whole life. And how does their career fit into that life and that destiny for them? And so concentrating on purely career coaching can actually be very limiting. It is very important for people to invest in themselves and to choose it for themselves because i think we were laughing earlier about how difficult it is to get people to understand what coaching is and why it's worthwhile for them uh, until they try it so yeah what are your thoughts on that it's true i mean i get many um of my clients so uh, i want i want you to coach my husband or i want you to coach my wife and i say i take no prisoners (laughs) people have got to want to come because when you come be coached by me your life will change for the better and it will change. So I think it's about 
you putting yourself first in this one and only life you've got and giving yourself permission that you are worth it you are worth it and actually the happier you are in yourself guess what everyone around you will be happier too whether it's within work within a relationship as a parent and that's what one of the extra joys i get from my work as well because i work with adults not with children specifically although i've been asked to a lot is when i train and educate because i do lots of education within my coaching as well because i want it to be sustainable after they've had their transformation is the byproduct is they then parent differently and when a client says to me do you know what i've got a better relationship with my son now and i connect with him and i speak to him differently and i'm sowing seeds of greatness in him too now and he's only four or five that gives me so much joy and i say to people when you come to be coached as a whole person everyone in your family will benefit from this because you will change your language as a result because i'll help you change your thinking and that's one of the joys so the, the the benefits are endless the benefits are endless and you have to invest if you want the best absolutely so where can people reach out to you mary ah so i am mary barrett global i've also got a podcast which is a cup of tea with mary b and i'm enjoying a lovely cup of tea here with laura today so i'm mary barrett on linkedin and mary barrett global on instagram and facebook so mary at mary barrett global yeah reach out to me if you want any questions want to talk to me find out more about what i do i'm delighted to always share my wisdom (laughs) and you're always sharing your wisdom and it's great to have you on the show today so thank you so much mary thank you laura it's been great thank you If you have enjoyed this episode of the Coach Potatoes podcast, please do subscribe and rate and review to help others find it as well. Until next time, goodbye.